Back on the big one, 700 WLW, 1208. Dan Carroll in for Bill Cunningham, the great American, enjoying some more time off. As uh, It would be nice if we could all do that, wouldn't it? But uh, Bill Cunningham uh, wasn't here last week, not here today. And uh, you've got uh, me until 3 o'clock this afternoon. And what do we have going on today? In a half an hour from now, I'll be talking with my buddy uh, John Mills. He's a uh, retired colonel from the U.S. military. Uh, we're going to be talking about what's happening with the military right now. He is uh, getting ready to go to Taiwan, and we'll get an update on and And probably that's something I haven't been following as close as I should have been following. But uh, we'll get an update on, on what he is uh, what he is seeing there. I mean, th- this guy has served in five different eras. He uh, served during the Cold War. He um, worked for uh, President Trump. He's a senior fellow at the Senator for uh, the Center for Security Policy. Uh, he's uh, done international affairs for the Department of Defense. So this guy is uh, is on top of all of that, and so we'll break that down with him as we continue. Also, my buddy Daniel Turner. We'll be here at one o'clock after the news at uh, about well, you know one o five, one o six, somewhere in there. And Daniel Turner is a, always a great guest of this show. Uh, he wrote a, he wrote a really a good piece that was in the Federalist, talking about. And there's so much talk these days, you know, with the environmental crowd, that we have to get rid of fossil fuels. We have to get rid of the of the petroleum industry. And he wrote a, a great column. Uh, talking about his dad who passed away earlier this year and how this was going to be the uh, the first holiday season that he had without his father. And he talked about the dignity of human life and how petrochemicals make that possible. And you may be saying, well, Dan, what, what do you mean by that? How do petrochemicals uh, make human dignity and my life any better? And he talked about when his father was in the uh, in the hospital and he talked about everything from the the needle that went into his arm uh the ports that he had the tubing that uh was connected to his body the iv bags that were being used uh every machine and he talked about every corner of that room in the hospital including the medications that his father was using were derived from petrochemicals, the petroleum industry. And so when you have these uh, these organizations and these groups and, and, the, and this administration talking about how we need to end fossil fuels, these are the kind of things that never get thought through. Uh, y- you can have all the solar power and all the wind power in the world and you are not going to be able to replace these items that, that frankly, make all of our lives better. And you look at all the medical advancements that have been made, and, and I don't spend a lot of time behind this microphone talking about medical stuff. But when you look at all the medical advancements that have come in the last 15, 20, 50 years, a lot of them are derived, if not almost all of them are derived, by way of of some sort of petrochemical and could not exist but for the petroleum industry. I'm talking about oil. So he makes a great point on that. And then the other part I want to ask him about is I'm seeing a couple of things right now 
involving the Biden administration. <clears throat> and one is that uh, the United States is is now producing oil at a rate that I don't think we've ever seen before. So I'm going to ask him about that because Joe Biden did so much to to reduce the production of oil in the United States. But despite those efforts, we are somehow producing more oil than we have ever seen. And then finally, at uh, at 2 o'clock this afternoon, 2.05, uh, the new president of the Cincinnati FOP, his name is Ken Cobra. Uh, this guy has had a long history with the Cincinnati Police Department. Uh, as we know, uh, Dan, Dan Hills is a regular guest on this show. Many of the talk show hosts on this radio station, thankfully, uh, leaned on Dan Hills, and he was a great spokesperson for the FOP. And the FOP's really had a, uh, a good run of uh, advocates in that position and people who aren't afraid to come on this radio station and come on TV and uh, and say the things that need to be said in support of Cincinnati police officers. And I have uh, I have texted with uh, Ken Cober a little bit. I have not spoken to him. So this will be my first chance to get a chance to uh, speak directly with Ken Cober, and I am certainly looking forward to that at 2.05 this afternoon. So if you are of a mind, uh, I certainly hope you can hang around for all of that this afternoon. And uh, Bill Seg Dennison is in the building, and I hope to uh, do a Stooge report. And if you want to weigh in, 513-749-7000, the big one. Those are the numbers to call. Say hello to Drew Westerheide when you call in because he is the main man that is making things happen in the control room right now. And uh, without guys like him, we would not be on the air. So uh, happy New Year, everyone. I hope you had a great New Year's celebration or whatever you did on New Year's. I hope it was fantastic. Hope you had a great uh, Christmas uh, and a great Hanukkah. And now we are off into 2024. Today was actually the first time I wrote down. I've got a notebook here, and I always uh, keep some notes during the show. And I put the date on there, and today was the first day I actually wrote those numbers down was uh, 2024. So we uh, we had a great time. Went to some uh, some good celebrations over the weekend. Visited with friends. Went to a, a nice uh, a nice New Year's Eve party. Big doings there. Got to sit at the VIP table. That was very fun. Saw the band uh, Marsha Brady, and uh, the the place was rocking. People were dancing, and that was my New Year's Eve, pretty much. So uh, you want to tell me about yours again? Five one three seven four nine seven thousand. 1-800-THE-BIG-ONE. Uh, I, one thing I'm not going to do today is uh, talk about the Well, when when Seg gets here for the Suge Report, I'm sure we'll talk about what's happening with the Bengals. But what a letdown. What a disappointment. And when Joe Burrow went down, I, the, 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 to my way of thinking, the general tenor of that was, <clears throat> well, we've lost our quarterback. The season is pretty much over. There's nothing to play for anymore. And and I didn't buy that. I told the people, and I said it on this radio station, how about you step up? How about the guys that are still playing ball uh, go in there with the attitude that we can get the job done? And then won a, uh, a couple of games, very thrilling game against the uh, the Minnesota Vikings. And then followed that up with a complete turd against the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
and I don't know as I as I look at that game against Kansas City, and I know. I think Lance was talking a little bit about this on his Twitter feed. That kicking that field goal in the third quarter would not have made that much of a difference. I, I and I, I just tend to disagree with that. I think when you're on the road in a hostile environment, you have a an, an excellent chance. I mean, no field goal is is a hundred percent, but with Money Mac. And you're uh, where on the uh, on the nine yard line or wherever they were, inside the ten, close to the ten. That's pretty much money in the bank for Money Mac making a field goal. I think that completely changes the the tone and tenor of that game. Uh, but instead, that was a dramatic shift, a dramatic swing in the momentum, and Kansas City was able to capitalize on it. So that's the way I saw it. So if you want to give me your take on that, I'll listen to it. But I'm not going to. I'm I'm just I'm not here for Bengals analysis today. Normally on a day, if if they would have won, I would have tried to have Mo Egger in here, maybe Austin Elmore, maybe Tony Pike, someone come in uh, and sit with me and break down uh, of what should have been a great Bengals victory, and then talk about how game uh, or, or big the uh, the game is coming up with the Cleveland Browns. But now all that is gone. And to my way of thinking, the Cleveland Browns game, uh, for me, holds about as much uh, much excitement as a, uh, a meaningless preseason game. I don't think the Browns really have anything to play for. They're, they've, they've clinched their playoff spot. Um, I don't think the Bengals really have anything. I would like to see A.J. McCarron get some snaps. I've always been a big fan of that guy. But after Sunday, I'll, I'll probably watch the Bengals and Browns on Sunday, even though it's not really going to make any difference at all. But I will probably watch that game on Sunday, and uh, then I'll pretty much be done with the NFL. And so I was, as I was telling my friends at the the New Year's Eve party we were at, our Sundays are about to become a lot more productive because we won't be uh, wasting time uh, watching football. Let's go to Brett, who is... That's say Brett is in Mason. Brett, you're on 700 WLW. How's it going? Good. How are you doing today? All right, Brett. Hey, I just wanted to uh, elaborate a little bit of what you talked about as far as the petrochemicals and the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Just to give you a little history, Rockefeller, when he first started out in the oil industry, he tried everything he could to destroy every other small oil company, either buy them, take them over, destroy them, put them out of business, whatever, to take over the entire industry. Well, after he did that, as you know, the Sherman Antitrust Act, they the government came in and made him break it up into, I think, 40 companies or so. Well, after that, he vowed to bankrupt the United States. He vowed to do what he could to get even for that. And what he did was he started, he found out and realized that the petrochemicals that, you know, he was now, you know, in control of, so to speak, was being used, were, were being able to be used in modern medicine. Now, modern medicine came about because of these, because of this man-made medicines from petrochemicals. Before, it was all, you know, they grinded stuff up, the pharmacists, right, mixed things, you know, made these different remedies or whatever. Well, once he did that, then he took a guy, I think his name was Fleck, ah, Fleck. Fleckner, and he put him 
in charge of finding out what they were doing in the schools. And what he did was he altered the way the educational system in the medical schools uh, were what they were being taught by giving them tons of money. And then that's how all the prescriptions and the modern medicine and the pharmaceutical companies rose was because of Rockefeller. Um, just to give you a little bit of history on that. Well, I mean, Rockefeller are, was, a, was, was a rich guy. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I think when, when people get to that sort of level, I think there's, a, uh, there's an element of genius that is mixed in there. Uh, m- most of the, the millionaires that I have known in my life uh, aside from a couple who just ran into dumb luck, uh, were pretty much geniuses. The way they could they could look at a situation, the way they could figure things out, the way they could uh, get from point A to point B, and uh, I, I, so I we, you know when I look at a guy like Rockefeller, especially the when and the way he did things, I think there's a, there's an element of genius there. You're right, and you know he also he's the one that established our educational system. I think it was the NEA or something like that. So that's also why our educational system is set up because of Rockefeller. And what I mean by that is that, as you know, as you know, we're really not educated on a lot of different things, right? Like <laughs> yeah. a lot of basic things. Ain't that the things <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, why are they not understanding kids how to balance a checkbook or how to, you know, how to do different things of that nature? Because, because they want these kids in debt as soon as they get out of school. They want them to become a debt slave like all the rest of us, right? So he also infiltrated the, the, the educational system in the United States and helped suck that up as well. Well, so, look, yeah, at, I mean, right. look, at your, look at your average kid working at a fast food place right now. They, if the, if the, the computer or the cash register takes a dump, they can't figure out how to make cha- uh, change. Uh, and I was going to say for a $5 bill, but now it's a $20 bill. Uh, when you, If you get something to eat, they can't figure out how to make change for a $20 bill. And they just uh, look at you know, but they they know their proper pronoun usage. So so those exactly. things are, are yeah. what's important, I guess. Yeah. And you know the thing is, is and, they, and, and on top of that, just to elaborate, they have no coping skills anymore. Once they when they can't figure out how to give change, they start to have a meltdown. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. Kind of like, you know. So hey, but Brett, anyway, I just want to let you know that give you a little idea of that evil genius. I'm gonna I'll, I'll call it evil genius um, that you you know that that basically brought about our modern medicine. Well, that's the thing. Everyone who is listening to us right now has been a beneficiary of of that that enterprise. Uh, whether you like petrochemicals or not, they are intertwined with your life in ways you can't even imagine. And to sit Absolutely. there and say we need to uh, do away uh, with big oil and and uh, and the and the chemical companies and and, uh, and fossil fuels is just unbelievably short-sighted brett thank you very much for the call thank you all right there you go brett and mason let's hit a cell phone and this is john and john you're on 700 wlw dan how you doing good john thanks for the call what's up happy new year to you sure happy new year to you sir i will tell you that if it wasn't for the petrochemical industry we would be one sorry state of humanity uh the petrochemical industry not only do they help create medicines? They, everything you look at in a hospital, anything that is that is manufactured is probably made from petrochemicals when you go to a hospital. Sure. Most things in your house are manufactured by petrochemicals. But, you know, the dirty secret is, is that, you know, the left hates big oil. They hate big oil, right, because there's this illusion that there's this 
this climate change is going to be the death of all of us. But let's be honest. If it wasn't for petrochemicals, number one, our food would not be, our food production would be reduced by God knows what percent because without petrochemical, we don't have the fertilizers we need. We don't have the plastic we need that makes our fruit, our food and vegetables last longer. So I, we are really just kind of just stabbing ourselves in the heart because of this climate change thing. Well, yeah, and, well, sure. I mean, it, it's I, and it, it's like a religion, and I always say they want to sacrifice the greatest economy the world's ever seen, and they want to do it on the altar of the green agenda. But it, it, it is so foolhardy right. and so stupid. Right. And when I look at these people who are out protesting, I look, you know, they, they've all got uh, the North Face jackets on or they've got uh, very yeah. expensive shoes. And, and there's not a one of them that doesn't have a cell phone. And none of that stuff That's would right. be exist. It would not exist. It would not be possible were it not for big oil. And, and, and even That's the right. sign, the, where, where do they think the paint comes for the signs that they make? Where do they think that stuff comes from? I mean, it's, you know, the makeup they have on, the things in their hair, uh, the, the the clothing on their backs. I mean, it, it, it's it's every single item that you can possibly think of is dependent upon oil. And uh, to sit there and say we need to get rid of it is just one of the foolish, the most foolish things That's right. that I can possibly think of. John, That's we right. got we got to run, but thank you very much for the call. Happy New Year. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. All right, there Bye -bye. you go. John on a cell phone. Good call there. Uh, after the news here at the uh, the bottom of the hour, uh, John Mills, retired colonel, United States military, is going to be here, and we will talk uh, military items and more as we roll on. Dan Carroll for Bill Cunningham on 700 WLW. It's 12.38, January 2nd, second day of the brand-new year. Dan Carroll in for Bill Cunningham. And uh, thank you very much for listening. I am uh, always, uh, it is always my honor and my uh <sighs> It's a great thing to sit in for Bill Cunningham and be able to talk to one of the greatest audiences in all of talk radio. And uh, the great American will be back. Just don't know exactly when. But uh, we carry on. And uh, one of the uh, – I've had a chance to talk to this guy once before. And when it comes to uh, national security, when it comes to the United States military, uh, I don't think there really are any issues that are more important to that. And uh, my next guest is uh, is a guy who can address all that and more. It is re uh, retired Colonel John Mills. And John Mills, Happy New Year to you, sir. And uh, um, thanks for taking the time to come back to the show. And how are you today? Hey, Dan. Happy New Year. I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. How and, are you doing? You know, the last time I talked, it says you're a retired colonel. What branch of the military? Uh, you uh, army, United States Army, Our, army, yeah, army. <laughs> but you know, we, you're now required to become what's called joint qualified with it's called JPME education level. So you really lose your service color because you know once you hit 05, uh, lieutenant colonel, or 06, really by 06, back to make general officer, you have to become joint qualified. So I am proudly purple on this. I can speak all <laughs> services. Well, I I love that. Uh, you know, I, I, I really, there are so many things I wanted to talk with you today, and uh, I don't know where to start. I'm looking at your sub stack, and you've been writing a lot lately about China. And then I see this. I see that uh, while our president was uh, enjoying uh, the sunshine and the beach over uh, Christmas and New Year's, uh, the president of China was busy, and he was making a, a New Year's address. 
And Xi Jinping uh, said these words, that surely uh, China would surely be reunified with Taiwan during his New Year's address. When you hear those words come out of the mouth of the, uh, the president, the leadership of China, what does that say to you? Buckle up and get ready. Uh, yeah, that was a very strong statement. It was, it was that because usually they, they kind of approach this topic of Taiwan. They still kind of approach it. That was pretty direct. And, and when, uh, he was in San Francisco enjoying the freshly cleaned streets of San Francisco, um, you know, he, he told uh, Biden pretty clear what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when, when a totalitarian says something like that, uh, they mean it and get ready. So, uh, we just, unfortunately, we have, uh, you know, an administration that just seems to be blissfully ignorant, perhaps bought, well, bought off. I mean, I think we have strong evidence that if nothing else, um, Hunter and the big guy were bought off. But I mean, this is, ladies and gentlemen, get, get ready. I'm, I'm leaving on Saturday to cover the elections in Taiwan. Um, so on the 13th, this is a big deal. Get ready. The Chinese are going to try to throw the elections and what they're going to throw at, uh, Taiwan is going to be a leading indicator of what's going to happen in America in the summer and the fall, uh, as we go to November 24. So ladies and gentlemen, this is, this Taiwan is not Ukraine in any way, shape or form. Taiwan is on the front line of freedom for everybody in the world. And we need to make sure they get everything they need to defend themselves. Um, and uh, we need to be there for them. It's, it's U.S. law. Uh, and it would be nice if we followed law uh, on these matters. So, so when, uh, when Biden and Xi met in, uh, in San Francisco, and that, and that was a spectacle that was amazing to behold the way we rolled out the red carpet for this guy. Uh, Biden, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he immediately responded with, from a position of strength, uh, a reminder of what the United States interests are in that part of the world and, uh, and, and maybe why it may be ill-advised for him to speak in such a manner. That, that, that's the, the response that we got from the President of the United States, is it not? Uh, I think we got several messages. I think the the Biden administration is very, and I'm just taking politics out of this and and trying to be just objective, mm-hmm. fair, and honest. They are they are very confused on the topic of Taiwan. They still look at uh, you know some. Let's just presume those who are not bought off or corrupt or ideologically wacko uh, and left leaning anyway, and and admire China. They they still they're they're looking at. Uh, China through the Kissinger lens, where they feel, hey, you know, they they'll they'll adapt, they'll develop, and they'll be great partners in the world. That is, at this point in time, if somebody still has, if their their job is national security, international affairs, and they still have that view of China, and we're taking out the corruption and bought off and ideological crazy aspect, uh, they they need to be removed from office because that is it's patently absurd at this point in time. So when you see the president of China talking like this, and then at the same time, we look at our southern border and we see the the relatively large spike in Chinese national uh, of military age men that are crossing illegally into the United States from our southern border. Do you tend to look at those things and, and connect the dots in any sort of way? 
Yeah, absolutely. This is intentional, willful. They are sending uh, fighting age males. Uh, and I just was in Panama uh, with uh, Ann Vandersteel and Michael Jan, saw it personally. This is an invasion. They are now providing command control oversight of the cartels of fentanyl production in northern Mexico and distribution into America, including muscling in on air quote, legal cannabis operations, which I think is absolute fraud and canard anyway. But these are high cash operations. They're coming in, muscling in. There's been many reports, California, Ohio, uh, Maine, Oklahoma, of Chinese nationals muscling in and taking over these operations. Why? Well, they're high cash operation. You can't bank the money because of federal laws on cannabis. And uh, so now you got all this cash sitting around and what do they do? They muscle in, they skim it. What do they skim it for? This is their way to pay for influence operations in America. If you thought the summer of 2020 was chaotic with Antifa, just get ready. All those Antifers, you know, they're the same folks. There's a lot of, there's a lot of research on this, Andy. No, I'll cite him for one. The Antifers are the same people who are transgender uh, advocate, uh, uh, protesters and the same people who are Palestinian protesters. And guess who's, they're, they're charging 250 a night. That's, that's been documented very well. Where do you get this cash? Cannabis operations. It's, 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 it's a self-looking ice cream cone. <laughs> we're, we're talking with uh, our retired Army Colonel John Mills. And uh, and John Mills, you, you wrote on your Substack about uh, an authorized use of military force to deal with this situation at the border. Is this something you're in favor of? Um, are, yeah, are, are we absolutely. in a position? Are we in a position now where we can actually uh, make such an operation happen and and be effective with it? Yeah, um, for having actually participated in events like this and in great detail in planning and implementation. I, I know what I'm talking about on this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, and there's been a number of congressmen, Mike Waltz uh, from Florida has always been on the right side of history on so many topics. Um, several others have said, look, we, we, Sentinel is killing 10,000 Americans a month. In 2022, it killed 70,000. Okay, um, that's more than 40 years of combat in the entire Vietnam War and the war on terror put together of American service losses. Uh, this is insanity. This is war. Uh, if 10,000 dead a month is not compelling, uh, people must be using, uh, air quote legal cannabis and dissolving their minds. I mean, this is, this is war. So we need to make, First, we need Congress to authorize use of military force. That means we can start to deploy our advanced force people to start sizing up the situation. We put one JDAMS, that's a, that's a guided bomb. We put one JDAMS on the next Chinese slash cartel meeting uh, to make a dramatic, dramatic teaching point in life lesson. Believe me, uh, all the Chinese special operators in Mexico, Panama, and inside the U.S. are going to run for the closest airport to get out of here. You know, you also recently uh, wrote about what's happening in the Red Sea, and you talked about the uh, disruptions of commercial traffic that's happening there. The United States Navy has been busy uh, shooting down drones and attacks on our uh, our naval vessels that are in that part of the world. We've had multiple attacks on U.S. installations throughout the Middle East. Um, do, you, do you see the response from this administration as being appropriate for uh, the kind of attack that uh, that our military men and women have been coming under in, in that part of the world? 
Uh, no, that their term is proportionality. Mm-hmm. Austin and, and all the, uh, the Biden folks love to use that term proportionality. Let me translate. Proportionality means more Americans and uh, innocent people are going to die because you can't deal with Hamas, Hezbollah, Houthis, Iran, Somali, whatever, with proportionality. You you crush them. You crush them. These are these. Every one of those groups uh, is a designated terrorist uh, terrorist group. Why in the world are we using the term proportionality? Because they don't care how many people they lose on their side, unless it hurts. And so, you know, we schwack three boats out of four with uh, U.S. Navy helicopters. Good job on those flight crews. Good job to the Eisenhower and the carrier. I think it's carrier wing three. Great job, guy, uh, guys and girls. Uh, but we need to go after their bases. And this insanity, there's already a, an Iranian intelligence ship in the Red Sea, and now they're sending a, a small corvette. Um, first thing we should do, the nanosecond we, we detect any emissions of any kind from either of those two craft, we vaporize them. And because uh, they're, they're, they're helping in the targeting. So what in the world are we allowing these two vessels uh, in the Red Sea for? They're doing nothing but bad things. Nanosecond they transmit anything, vaporize them. Well, and, and then I, I continue to see these uh, these delays that are happening with, through the, uh, the the commercial shipping lanes that are there. And I wonder to myself, why aren't we assuring safe passage for these vessels? And it, it seems to me that we're just uh, simply sitting there. And we're letting the the terrorists get the upper hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, uh, clearly nobody fears the U.S. Navy anymore. The Houthis are doing whatever they want to do. This now the Somalis have been resurrected. They're, they they seized a ship. The Houthis still have uh, uh, one of the first ships, uh, the Galaxy Leader, I think it was. Um, they they have they seized those ships and crews. They're hostages. And uh, the U.S. Yeah, the U.S. Navy is doing its best, but we're frankly. Uh, the Middle East is consuming almost all of our forward deployed naval assets. This shows an extremely understrength, overstretched U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy, like I said, I'm a purple guy. We shift our resources and our focus to the primary effort. The primary effort now around the world is Navy and Air Force. They are, we're, we're giving them massive funding increases, but, you know, we just can't seem to build more ships or more aircraft at any reasonable rate. So, I mean, um, well, other than that, everything's going great. <laughs> it's going great. And then when you, you talked about the response that we did have, and then the, the 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 men and women who are on the front line there performed magnificently, as as they tend to do. But when I look at those who are coming up, and I look at those that are in our say our naval academy right now, and I read articles about how they're spending time learning about gender and sexuality. And, and pronoun usage and intersectionality and, and, uh, and, and all this other, uh, to my way of thinking, nonsense that has nothing to do with uh, learning how to be a United States military officer. And the same thing is going on at West Point. The same thing is going on at the Air Force Academy. Uh, it, it, we spend all this time worrying about this kind of stuff. And I have great concern for the next generation of leadership. That is uh, coming up and and preparing to take their place in the United States military. Yeah, Dan, we have, we have a 
fire in the main engine room on this topic. Uh, they can't. The geniuses that are uh, DOD is a civilian-led organization. That's that's law. It's not uniform-led. It's civilian-led. So, the current administration uh, uh, clearly uh, is. Uh, uh, either by just gross ignorance or intentionality, attempting to destroy the incredible United States military, <clears throat> and they can't—they—they can—they're—they're all—they're all, they're all uh, dither now with the uh, uh, horrible, horrible recruiting and retention rates, and yet they come up with the flimsiest of, of bizarre reasons. You know, oh, people are concerned. Oh, people are concerned about climate change. You know, this and that and. Well, you know, it's hostility toward transgender. Yeah, just all this absolute psycho gibberish. Listen, when I joined the military, I joined because I wanted to be an American. I wanted to help defeat the Soviets. I wanted to be part of an American victory here. And and I, went, Audie, I grew up on Audie Murphy, you know, the most decorated soldier of World War II. I didn't join because of some psycho babble. Uh, and, that's, and then they can't figure out, wow, our recruiting is and retention is way down. And what is... Uh, Secretary of the Army, um, uh, what does she, she do? She goes, well, we can't meet our recruiting intention goals. Therefore, I'm going to cut U.S. Army special operations. Oh, for God's uh, sake. Please, please show me the rigor, analytical rigor behind that logic and decision. That is absolute insanity. Um, so uh, this, is, this is what we're dealing with, is they're going the most – effective part of the United States Army is Army Special Operations. So, you know, Navy and Air Force need resources. If she wants to cut anything in the Army, she needs to hand over two to four brigades of engineers, military police, and air defenders so they can become Air Force and Navy units to build up the basing infrastructure in the Western Pacific and defend it. Um, and that's a very... Listen, they are the main effort in the Western Pacific. They need engineers. They need air defenders. They need military police. Just hand over the units. Then you can, uh, you know, you can reduce the army size and contribute to the joint fight. Uh, that's absolutely logical and reasonable. No, their response is let's cut army special operations. Probably the singular most important thing the army can do in the Western Pacific is provide army special operations. Uh, and yet, please. Show me the analytical rigor behind this absolutely well, insane yep. decision, Colonel uh, Colonel uh, John Mills. Uh, you know, we've got red flags popping up all over the place. I was uh, doing a show between Christmas and New Year's, and one of the callers said, uh, "Can you ever talk about anything positive? Is is there a positive note that you can leave us with this afternoon?" Uh, our incredible constitutional republic is worth saving. Everyone, we got 90 days to jump into action to ensure you have election integrity right where you live. And we can do this. We need to go shoulder to shoulder, back to back. We need to, ladies and gentlemen, put our shoulder to the wheel here and make things happen. Because most places in about the next 90 days are going to start locking down all of their election rules for November 2024. So get involved. Get involved. And I think we can do this. We come on, we can do this. This is America. We're worth the most the most incredible form of governance ever created. And as Winston Churchill said, America has the worst form of governance, except for all the others. 
Colonel John Mills, the book is The War Against the Deep State. Uh, you're, you're a frequent writer on Substack, and uh, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. And let's talk again when you get back from Taiwan. I would love to hear a, a report from the ground over there. But a Happy New Year to you, sir, and, and all the best in 2024. And I do look forward to our chance uh, to talk again. Yeah, Dan, it's always an honor. Onward to a, a victory for our incredible constitutional republic. All Thank right. You. Uh, Colonel John Mills, uh, retired from the United States Army. And uh, I'll tell you what, you want, you want an update on what's happening around the world and with our military. You just got it right there. 1226, Dan Carroll for Bill Cunningham on 700. It's 1256, actually. 700 WLW. Seven hundred WLW. It is eleven minutes after one o'clock on this Tuesday, <clears throat> the uh, second day of the new year, twenty twenty four. A lot of people going back to work today. A lot of people going back to school. Vacation time is over, except for the great American Bill Cunningham, who is enjoying some more time off. So it is my distinct pleasure to be able to sit in for Bill Cunningham. It is also my distinct pleasure, as always, to welcome in my next guest, one of the uh, one of my one of my all time favorite guests, and. This is the first time we've had a chance to talk in 2024. And Daniel Turner, Happy New Year to you. And how are you today? Oh, I am thrilled to start off the new year being on with the radio with you, Dan. Thanks well, for having me. Well, that's great. Yeah, I, I caught you on Fox News the other day. You were talking with uh, Rachel Campos Duffy. And you were talking about a, a column that you wrote. And it appeared in, in the Federalist. And uh, just allow me to read one brief passage uh, from this column. And and you and you wrote a beautiful piece about your father passing away and how this is your first holiday season without him. And you wrote this, I always carry a handkerchief because my dad did. But most people prefer disposable tissues. When fossil fuels are gone, those tissues are gone. Disposable diapers are gone. Yoga mats and plastic water bottles are gone. Do climate change activists, suburban moms know that? Do you think Starbucks can survive without fossil fuels? What about that salad from Whole Foods in a plastic container? Or even the plastic packaging for meat and produce? Cologne, deodorant, perfume, bathroom cleanser, Swiffer pads, paper towels. Sure, that mom may think disposable products are bad for the earth, but a lack of hygiene is far worse for her and her family. And I, and I love writing like that because it puts into a practical sense how intertwined our lives are with uh, big oil, with uh, petrochemicals, and the massive amount of benefit that we as human beings, not just here in the United States, but all over the world, enjoy because we have the petrochemical industries. Yeah, and it's, and it's a different perspective. First of all, thank you for, for reading that. I, I'm uh, honor that you would do so. Um, uh, it's a different perspective we have of, of humanity and the world than the left does. And it's why there's, it's almost impossible to think there is such a thing as, as common ground. I see the fossil fuel industry and the quite literally millions of products that have, have come from fossil fuels as great benefits. I see them all as, as, as good and wonderful. And proof of that is the way we live our lives. Um, the left sees them as this terrible thing that needs to be eradicated. Of course, not in their personal life. They're not giving up the slightest fossil fuel creature comfort. Um, but they see them as something negative. And, and as proof of that, 
they have to talk hyperbolically about this uh, apocalypse, which has never seemed to come, right? I mean, we're 15 years beyond Al Gore's end of time, where we're 50 years behind um, uh, Paul Ehrlich's end of time. Um, so they keep talking about the end of humanity because of fossil fuels. And, and I don't quite see it that way. I, I think that suburban mom I had in mind, and I hate picking on the suburban, the, what they call a Karen now, right? Because it's an easy touch, touching bag. But I think of that individual, and I see them when I go to the grocery store, when I leave my farm, the one time a week I have to get off the farm. <laughs> um, and and I, I don't know if they're aware of how dependent their comfort and their what they take for granted. I, in the simplest terms, until you're ready to bring home a raw chicken in cloth and then hand wash that cloth uh, uh, w- without, you know, Dawn or or, or, or bleach or any fossil fuel product until you're willing to do that you need to shut up about climate change because you like taking home your chicken in a plastic container wrapped in plastic in a plastic bag throwing all of it away because you're worried about germs you just extrapolate that to the millions of things we do all day from our plastic toothbrushes to charging our phones at night no american is ready to give up the fossil fuel lifestyle so why do we even pretend that they're going to yeah, but it, but see, it, it takes someone like you to write a column like this, and we have such such lazy reporting when it comes to the national media in this country, and frankly, the media around the world. It's great to sit there and parrot these headlines that we are at a tipping point, that the Earth is going to end in X number of years, that John Kerry mm-hmm. says uh, the elimination of fossil fuels is on the way. And and we have this administration that is backing that when they say they want to come after your dishwasher and they want to come after your uh, your gas stove and they want to come after various appliances in your homes yeah. and things like that. It's just the, 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 it should be the job of the media to look at these things objectively and say what if that were to really happen what are the consequences yeah. of that and sure it's great to go out and protest and and shake your fist and then and then talk about the big bad big oil but no one ever stops to think about the real life consequences of it and you put it all right there in the piece that you wrote well thank you and and you know they talk about transitioning away from fossil fuels and going to wind and solar and EVs and one all of those products are actually made from fossil fuels so your argument's dead right there but even if we were to accept getting rid of that inconvenient fact let's look at at the other problem fossil fuels are so much more than electricity generation wind and solar make electricity very very expensive electricity intermittent electricity right weather dependent electricity crappy electricity um, but that's all they do is they make electricity <laughs> but fossil fuels make an awful lot more i, I was talking about um the, the last couple of days with dad when i was with him in the hospital and i take my work with me everywhere i go a lot of dedicated folks do i'm not special in that sense but as I was sitting there in the hospital with him and I saw, you know, the needle in his arm and you realize that the fine, fine point of, of that needle and how many of us have had blood work drawn, right? That fine, fine needle is forged in coal and the tube connected to that needle is 100% made from oil. And the chemicals in that tube trying to keep that alive are 100% made from natural gas. And, and there's, there's nothing dignified about allowing people to suffer in, in illness 
Um, there's nothing dignified about allowing the elements to take its toll, telling people to freeze to death or to die of complete heat or to let their food go bad, right? So fossil fuels, yes, it's convenience, and I just made fun of the suburban mom, I'm sorry. But on a much greater level than that, and why I go back to my original point that we have a different worldview than the left, um, there's dignity in that life. There, there, there's dignity that fossil fuels grants us, that we, we, we don't have to succumb to the elements. We don't have to succumb to the indignity of, of illness. And, and even death is more dignified because of these amazing products that brilliant people figured out. I can take oil and do X, Y, and Z and turn it into this and look at the quality of life it's given people. And anyone who's been to a hospital or works in that industry knows exactly what I'm talking about. And there's no plan for that, Dan. That's, my, that's what gets under my skin, and I could curse if I weren't on the radio. That's what gets under my skin is there's no pl- What if we get rid of fossil fuels, as John Kerry says, when we phase out fossil fuels, where are we getting our IV tubes? Where are we getting our needles? Where are we getting our bedpans? How many nurses walk into the room? Boom. They hand sanitize. They put on a pair of gloves. They walk out, gloves in the garbage, hand sanitizer again. Thousands of times a day, all oil. All of that is made from oil. What's the plan for that? Do we just go back to the, the, the pre-industrial route? Do we go back to leeches? Do we go back to the pre-industrial era? What's, do we go back to bleeding? I, I don't, what's, the, what's the plan well, that's the thing. For, for human dignity? For people like John Kerry, who, who enjoy far more creature comforts than, than you and I would ever enjoy in our life, and, and he has benefited mightily from uh, yeah. items that are produced the courtesy of, of fossil fuels and, and the petrochemical industry. It would, uh, he would uh, eagerly, I'm sure, uh, want to carve out set-asides and loopholes for things that he enjoys. But for everyone else, well, you know, sorry about your luck. I'm John Kerry, yeah. and I'm special. And, and you have to, uh, you know, again, rules for thee, but not for me. Yeah. So let, let me ask you. the left tells you. Oh, please, please. No, go ahead. I'll get, I was gonna say, when, when, when the left tells you that, you know, well, we'll, of course, need a little bit of oil for those products. Right, but that's right. Not how it, that's not how it works because those products will become so cost prohibitive. The world, worldwide, we, we produce around 40 million barrels of oil a day. And because of those 40 million barrels a day that the world produces, those plastic gloves are pennies, and you can afford to throw them away and reuse them. But, you know, liken it to any other industry. Because of the amount of wheat we produce, you're a little bran muffin that you really love that's $1.75 or $2.75. You can afford it because there's so much wheat you can afford a luxury item. But if we say we're getting rid of all the wheat, only the bran muffins, well, that bran muffin's not going to cost two seventy-five. It's suddenly going to go up to you know eighty-five dollars, and that is just the way supply and demand works. So when they tell us, well, yeah, we'll have a little bit of oil, not at that price point, and what that means is that the John Kerry's of the world can afford these products because they have billions of dollars. But you and I, we're not going to be able to afford you know, liquid detergent and, and, and those little pods that the, the millennials are eating, the Tide Pods, they're very convenient for the rest of us who know not to actually put them in our mouths. Um, but those are only affordable because oil is affordable. If we make oil unaffordable, all those prices are going to go through the roof a thousand times what we pay now. Yeah, you, you and I talked uh, during the beginning of the Biden administration, and one of the first things he did was issue executive orders that were really aimed at crippling the oil production capabilities in the United States of America. 
And uh, in the month of December, I'm I'm looking at uh, a piece from uh, NPR right now talking about how in December, uh, U.S. oil production hit an all-time high. How, Daniel Turner, how do you reconcile these two things that we have an administration that that is hell-bent on uh, on seeing whatever is supposed to come after uh, fossil fuels and big oil, but yet we have oil production in this country reaching an all-time high? Yeah, there's a couple things in that number, and the administration loves to tout it. Um, and there's some truth into it. You know, our, our, our production numbers are, are, are getting back to normal. Um, if, if they were as great as the administration claims, we wouldn't see prices at the point that they are at, right? We would see prices back at $45, $50 a barrel, and they're not. Um, this administration, and for the American people right now, is that the oil that's coming out of the ground now is probably five to seven years planned. Um, so the oil that's coming online right now was drilled at the very beginning of the Trump administration. That's how long it takes to get that oil. And yes, the drilling maybe only takes a couple of months, but to actually the extraction and to get it to market. My point being, this is an industry that you can shut down on a dime. But when you want to start it up again, it's years in the process. It's years of permitting and, 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 and permissions and legal loopholes and moving personnel and drilling and extraction. And, and so, you know, if, if we just had, a, had permission from the government to continue as we were doing during the Trump administration, they were predicting 18, 19 million barrels a day. So we're resting on our laurels of 13. Uh, but but why should we be happy with that, especially considering how expensive things still are right now? And things are very expensive. So so what you're saying is the production that we're seeing now is a result of the momentum that was began, I guess, what, back in 2018, 2019, 2020? Exactly. 20, 2017, as soon as President Trump was inaugurated. You know, if you're going to spend $25 million to, to drill a well... Um, you're going to make sure all your ducks are in a row and you're going to make sure you don't have an, an EPA that's going to sue you and a Department of Interior that's going to sue you and a DOJ that's going to sue you. And whatever climate justice is now, because if you can't get out all of your other permits, they'll get you with climate justice and they just accuse you of environmental racism and that will stop you. So, you know, drilling is not something that you do pretty easily. You have to put a lot of a lot of capital into it and so yeah that that exploded in 2017 because people saw a friendly administration those days are gone makes so sense, people yeah. haven't continued to invest that, yeah. made, that makes sense to me uh it, normally uh, when i read the wall street journal i uh, I, I read pieces that are that are pretty level-headed and uh and, and pretty comprehensive uh the headline i read in the wall street journal over the weekend said meet america's newest oil trader extraordinaire joe biden and the piece goes on to talk about how he's he's refilling the strategic petroleum reserve at a price around $75 a barrel uh, for oil. And then I go back to 2020, and I look at what happened then. When Donald Trump wanted to uh, top off the strategic petroleum reserve at a price uh, between $18 a barrel and negative $37 per barrel, and Chuck Schumer yeah. and the Democrats in Congress shut that down, saying it was going to be a windfall for the oil companies at $18 a barrel or less. And now we're talking about $75 a barrel, and the Wall Street Journal is out there calling uh, this uh, a great deal for the American taxpayer. Yeah, and this is government math in a nutshell, right? This is where government numbers never seem to add up. 
Um, yes, they're saying that, look, Biden sold oil at 95 and now he's repurchasing it at 75. So they're calling that a $20 profit. But where was that originally, that oil originally purchased? You know, if it averaged around 55, okay, so we bought it at 55, we sold it at 95, that's 40, but now we're buying it at 75. We're still in the whole $35 a barrel, right? So there's no profit the government made. This didn't start from zero. But this is where Karine Jean-Pierre and, and they, they just lie to us and they treat us like children. And, and, you know, it's like it's like that in-law everyone has who's always broken. He's like, you know what? These were a great deal. This car, you know, it's normally 40 grand. I only got it for 30. I saved 10,000. It's like, no, that's not how it works. You still spend 30 grand. Uh, that's how the government treats us. They treat us like a bunch of dumb children. And the sad thing is, going back to your great point earlier, Dan, the sad thing is this is where the media should step up and say, whoa, 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 hang on a second, Kareen. How is this a great deal for the American taxpayers? But they don't. They just write it because they're dutiful little lapdogs. They, they're stenographers, as many people call them. And they write what the what the administration wants them to write, and then they try to find another way to call us crazy extremists yeah. and say we're the danger to the world. And that's the thing; it's sad to see the Wall Street Journal going along with that as well. But Daniel Turner, we got to run. The website is Power of the Future. I, I encourage everyone to go online. The title of the piece is "We Can't Let Fossil Fuels Die Because They Keep Us Alive." Daniel Turner, our first conversation in 2024. I hope we have many more. But Happy New Year to you. Thank you for your time as always. And uh, I certainly hope we get a chance to talk again soon. It's going to be a crazy year, Dan. I'm looking forward to it with you. All right. Daniel Turner of Power of the Future, thank you very much. Uh, 127 now on 700 WLW. From the pocket, oh. has it stripped from behind. Trey. Trey Hendrickson knocked it away from Patrick Mahomes. Bengals. And the Bengals recover nice. at the 24-yard line. Trey Hendrickson will get credit for a strip sack there. His 17th sack of the year as he knocked the ball free from Patrick Mahomes and Sam Hubbard recovered. So, Sag, as I recall, that was a uh, a pretty good moment in that game against the Chiefs on and on what Sunday. It, what the scoreboard say when it was uh, triple zeros? Wasn't a whole lot. Uh, Bingo! Whole lot to jump up and down. That's you, correct. You got to take. You got to take the points. Yes. You know when you got the ball in the third quarter. You've, you've got a lead. You've got to add to that lead. I know you wanted to get a touchdown there. I know you want to make a statement. I know you want to say that uh, we're going to jam it down your throat and go on to victory. But you got to take the points. you got to take the points. I, I, I agree there, Dan Carroll. And anytime you get points, it's good. It is good. So, and I think no matter that it's three, seven, two, one, whatever. And I, I, you know, I, I, it, was it going to make a difference in the game? I don't know. But does it keep that uh, huge momentum swing from taking place? I think it does. And and how big of a deal is that? Yeah, all the momentum in the first half, they just forgot to play in the second. So are we the home of the uh, best Bengals coverage still, or are we now the home of the Reds? It's all up to management. I don't know. <laughs> when, That's way above my pay grade. How come grade. that memo hasn't come out That's yet? That's way above my pay grade, my boy. <laughs> Dan it, says, it says here, Seg, the Bengals still want to play. There you still go. Still want to play hard on That's Sunday right. against the Brownies. 
Uh, I don't know what they did yesterday, but this is official. The first Stooge Report of the uh, 2024 season. And it's all brought to you by your local Tempstar heating and air conditioning dealers. Tempstar, quality you can feel in Western Hills. Call Dermot Heating and Cooling at 513-598-8449 or go to DermotHeatingAndCooling.com. Sports! So does that mean Tempstar has signed up for another year of the Stooge Reports? Of correct. That is fantastic. The uh, Bengals be get better. Bengals get ready for that season finale against those Browns this Sunday. More tonight on Bengals line. Lance and Lap. 605 right here on 700 WLW. College football, the national championship game all set next Monday in Houston. Washington Huskies and Michigan Wolverines on ESPN 1530. Wolverines are an early four and a half point favorite. Did you watch those games last night? Watched uh, watched the um, uh, Michigan Alabama game. A pretty good game. Amen. To, both of them were. Both of them were. Didn't both of them were very good. The, uh, Texas and Washington game come down to the, uh, the the last minute. Pretty much, a guy uh, batted the ball away in the, in the end zone, and uh, the Huskies survive. Uh, college basketball tonight: the Miami Redhawks MAC opener against. Uh, they're going to host a Western Michigan. Yeah, baby. number one Purdue at Maryland. Get the latest on Norse basketball tonight. NKU coaches show six oh five. ESPN 1530. Doesn't Xavier play tomorrow night? Correct. At Villanova. At Villanova. What time does that game tip off? Uh, it starts at uh, 8 o'clock here on 700 WLW. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, there you go. Now we can all turn our attention to college basketball. I guess so. So, see what happens, Dan Carroll. I don't know. I mean, are you, gonna, are, do, you, gonna do you even want to watch the NFL playoffs now? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Got to. It'll be, very, it'll be very interesting to see uh, after Sunday what happens. Who what? stays, who goes, who, uh, you know, whatever. Because it looks like they are going to pick anywhere between. Uh, it all depends on if they win or lose Sunday and this team wins and that team ties and that team stays home. Uh, they could, I guess, wind up with, what, the 13th? They could pick from 13th to 16th. In the NFL draft. Well, that's what I do. I, I do this one. I, I go on. I turn the radio on, and I hear Scott Sloan talking with James Rapine, and they're talking about draft pick this, draft pick that. That's and I'm like, pick. really? Are we talking about the draft already? What? When? Next, when does the draft even happen? Years ago, in April. It happens it, in April. Yeah. Well, so this is years, this is January. Yeah. So we got to go through January, right? February, right? And March, right? And part of April, right? Hearing all about the draft. Correct. Heck, we used to talk about the when, when the Bengals really stunk. <laughs> used to talk about their draft at the bye week. <laughs> Because they never had the number one, two, or three pick. I thought those days were behind us. That's though. what I'm. Well, not now. Not a few in the past couple of years. You know, they didn't have to worry about the draft until like a couple of days ahead of time. Oh yeah. Now it's like now you got to now you're out and that's the next big thing. I mean, we still got a whole, got, we still got a whole month and a half of playoffs. Well, you got free agency in there. You got everything. So you got you got action going on all the time in the National Football League. It does, it doesn't end. Callers say I'm too negative, though. I need to be more, be more positive. That'd be nice. Do you have anything? <laughs> do you have anything positive to add, Seg? Uh, I don't think I've, I've got nothing else. How about the Cyclones? How are they doing? Uh, they're doing okay. I think. Uh, I think. I believe they play uh, Friday in Kalamazoo and then home against uh, um, home against Toledo. They've been playing Toledo like every other game. 
I don't know what's going on. They're in the same division, but it's uh, it's like the Bengals and the uh, Steelers and Browns. Every other game is like against uh, the either one of them. It's so. like the, the the Reds and the Pirates. Correct. And the Reds and the and the Cardinals. The Reds are in Pittsburgh one weekend. They're home against the Pirates the next. It's crazy. So, but that's what you do, Dan Carroll, when you uh, get eliminated from playoff contention. The next big thing, I guess, is uh, free agency. And this and that, and then uh, the uh, they look toward the uh, April NFL draft. Will AJ McCarron take some snaps on Sunday? I don't know. I would Probably. like. I would like to see that. I don't know. We'll see. I don't I mean, know why not. I have no idea. You know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see who the Browns sit, uh, getting ready for the playoff game. Uh, if uh, if Joe Flacco doesn't, uh, you know, they also got a I think uh, an ex Bengal on there. They just signed him a uh, Jeff Driscoll. I think he used to be here for a couple years ago. Well, next Sunday, they're this coming Sunday. They ought to, every time the Bengals have a fourth down, they ought to go for it, go for the first down just for practice. Oh yeah, let's practice that. Mm-hmm. They ought to go for a two point conversion every time they score. They ought to try and kick a seventy yard field goal. <laughs> they ought to let AJ McCarron play. I want to see halfback passes all over the place. I want to see double and triple and quadruple reverses. I want to see that that to, Sunday is the day did to bring out. The, did they give you the game plan already? I'm telling you, Sunday is the day to bring out all that crazy stuff. Get it all. Get it What's all out of your system on says, Sunday. Bengals confidential, players only. Is that the game plan? Uh, for I have. This I have my sources. Oh, okay. Just let me. You know. Just let okay. me say that. All right. I have my sources. Okay. But that's what I want to see on Sunday. All right, well, Man, bring out all the the craziest stuff you can possibly flickers, think of. Double reverse, do it all, everything, do it all. Maybe maybe uh, Jake Browning catch a touchdown pass. How about that? From somebody else, maybe from Joe Mixon. Have, have or maybe one, one of the linemen. Have what one about, of have one of the about, linemen. What about the the Cincy Hat Man Ted Karras? Have one of catch the linemen a touchdown pass like Anthony Munoz. Wear number seventy eight for the day. And go in. I'm just saying. Hold on. No, go no, no, in. No, 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 and, the, no. and the only time you go no, no, in no, no, is no, when no. you report eligible and then you catch a pass in the end no, zone, like no. Anthony Munoz used to do. Yeah, well, just leave 70. How many touchdown passes just, that just Anthony Munoz Just leave Anthony Munoz's 78 where it, where it is. <laughs> you don't give that to anybody's number. 78 is reporting eligible. Yeah. Unless, unless, like Shoei Otani with Joe Kelly had number 17 for the Dodgers, what did he do? He wanted that number. Yeah, but got, got Joe Kelly's wife a new Porsche. Bought her a Porsche. So if anybody wants to wear seventy eight, you got to buy uh, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Munoz a new car. How about the, there? You uh, go. How about the, uh, the the former UC coaches bowl over the weekend? Oh, you mean uh, uh, Luke John, Fickle Luke versus Fickle Brian Kelly? Never watched it. You didn't watch? I didn't it? get didn't get into too many of the bowl games. I watched the uh, I watched all the ones that Rocky Boyman was doing. Well, he did the Liberty Bowl. He, he did the Liberty Bowl. Who, who did, won uh, the, the Liberty? He Bowl. did the Frisco Bowl. He did. Uh, he did three of them. I, 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 I watched The Rock on TV. Some of them, I mean, you know, I was looking, hoping the Sun Bowl. It was snow, like it used to, <laughs> like it always does in El Paso, Texas. Uh, the Pop Tart Bowl was uh, a little goofy with the Pop Tart, and then they then they yeah. ate then they ate the thing afterwards. I don't think uh, that was the real. They, they had the trophy. They had the yeah, trophy they're, they're with, a, with a giant pop tart. They got a, a toaster, with a toaster out there. On, the, on top of it, and the pop tarts on you know, and then the cheese it people try to get in and yeah. They, now they, I now I hear the cheese it people are trolling the pop tart people. I don't know. They're probably the same people. It's a gimmick. 
Probably to sell merchandise. <laughs> you got you got to sell the merch. Uh, I don't know. You no, got to sell it, Seg. Didn't didn't I watched the Rose Bowl some? I watched uh, watched uh, let's see, watched well, I watched a little bit of the uh, Cotton Bowl. Very disappointed in uh, the Ohio State University there. But uh, yeah, they got smacked around a little bit. You know, fourteen to three. But half their guys didn't play, though, did they? Well, that was the problem. And then, of course, Georgia and Florida State, that was a mess. And that's the perfect example of, uh, what, three-quarters of the team of the Florida State Seminoles saying, we're not playing. And then you're playing, uh, you're playing, uh, you know, sophomores and juniors and freshmen. God, that was up a against blowout. The, oh, that it was, was horrific. Well, that's what you're going to get. That was horrific. That's and what you're going to get when these when these when these when these uh, big name players are not going to play in these games anymore. I don't know. They're I don't know if do Rocky. It. I don't know if Rocky's going to be here in an hour. But if he's here, that's what I want to talk about. If if you're in college and you're getting nil money, and you're getting paid to be there, then when when it's time for bowl game time, you got to show up. Somebody, said, I think when Willie, if whenever Willie gets back, I think they were, they had a story a couple weeks ago that there was one school that gave either the entire offensive line or every player on the roster a new truck. Oh, for God's sake! In college, yeah. So I mean, you know, it, you the, got you got students, you it, got students walking to school, and uh, you know the big man on campus is in a Mercedes. Or a Bugatti or a Maserati, uh, with his uh, with the uh, you know he's parking next to the university president in the lot, or basketball coach or football coach, and uh, all these other ones are you know they got student loans and all this stuff, and the football players are all driving brand new F one fifties. Bingo. That's not bad. But if you're getting paid, you got to show up. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, you get paid saying, by iHeartMedia. Well, it's a whole new world now, Dan. I you mean, get paid it's... by iHeartMedia, and you say, you know what? See, see you, could say, you could say, are you going to be able to say, uh, Bill Cunningham's not here today, and, uh, you know, we're, we're not really in the, in the, in the postseason game I want to be in, so I'm just not going to show up for this one. The way it is these days, man. Is, I mean, you don't do that. These players are going to do it. They don't care. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not the, gonna. They're not gonna risk getting hurt. Don't care when they don't and, get the dough with the ray and the me. Well, that, that's what they're. That's what. That's why they're not playing because they know the dough with the ray and the me is in the National Football League. Somebody's gonna draft them. Somebody's gonna pay them. Some of these kids are probably making more in college than they'll ever make in the NFL. Bingo. So that's that, that's the world today, man. I'm sorry, you're getting paid. You got to show up. That's the world today. You're not going to change it. Was the NCAA going to step in? They, they, they didn't think. They didn't think that. They didn't think it through. The NCAA is a joke anymore. Absolutely, and they, and, they, I mean, and they're even more of a joke when you have a bowl season. Twenty like years ago, a, a school went on probation because <clears throat> you bought a kid a hamburger. Oh now yeah. You're getting, now you're giving him a million and a half dollars to play. Who was the dude that showed up in a calendar that was uh, that was for charity, and then then he and then he couldn't play anymore? Well, it was Cunningham. Never. <laughs> at Deer Park, uh, they, didn't, they didn't want him to play at Toledo. So. I, I'm sorry, that was, that's, that's a bad memory. Yeah, uh, I didn't mean. So to, I don't know what to tell you. I didn't mean to bring that up, but I don't know. So I mean, that, but that's that's the way the world is. I mean, players are going to say, "I'm not playing in these games," and they're not going to play. And the schools are going to say, "Okay, that's fine." So you get you get you get bombarded like uh, Florida State did, and uh, I mean that was a that was an absolute mess. And Georgia just Georgia could have gotten students out of the out of the crowd. 
and probably and probably still beat them. Yeah, that that, that game that game was not fun. And to I watch. mean, you know, and 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 the bowl people are putting up all this big money. They got sponsors and stuff. I mean, I turned it off. When it, I, I kept flipping it back just to see if if they might have scored a hundred points on them. Is Rock going to come in with a, a swag bag from the Fiesta Bowl? I don't know. I wonder if he. I wonder if they get one. I don't know. I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. Usually the players get all kind of cool stuff. We'll have to see. So, I don't know. All right, Bill. Did you have a good? Did you have a good New Year's though? Everything went New well. New Year's Dan. Eve was good. I uh, went to bed early. Never saw the. Uh, never oh. saw the ball drop. I had to work. Come in here with Steve Hawkins. What's the matter with you? A lot going on New Year's Day. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Bengals? I'm just saying. So it, felt, it sounded like World War Three at midnight in my neighborhood, but uh, you know, I thought I was uh, I thought I was overseas for about ten minutes, and they rang in the New Year in my oh, neighborhood, was, and everything. Oh, was hell good. was breaking loose. So, All right, Seg, get us out of the Stooge Report if you would, please. Dan Carroll and everybody have a good uh, start to the 2024 year. We leave you with the immortal words of the Stooge Report. That is one of the things that I fear in life, an aggressive pigeon. Mimes, monkeys, and aggressive pigeons. Dan Horde's got some issues. Dan Horde's been talking to himself about fun facts. <laughs> that's dangerous. <laughs> Seg, I'm honored to have done the first Stooge Report of 2024. How about that, Dan Carroll? We'll be back in a little bit. I'm going to make a note of this. It's the biggest day of my broadcast career. <laughs> Next to Chopper 9 on 700 WLW. The nurses all gather round. They gaze in wide wonder at the joy they have found. The head nurse spoke up, said, leave this one alone. She could tell right away that I was bad to the bone. Seven hundred WLW. Dan Carroll in for Bill Cunningham, Great American, enjoying some more time off as we kick off the new year here on January second, the second day of twenty twenty four. My first day uh, on the radio this year, so uh, glad to be here and glad you are listening as well. I am also glad to welcome in this guy that I have uh, we we've texted a little bit, but have not really had a chance to speak to each other. And this is my first time uh, speaking to the new president of the Cincinnati Fraternal Order of Police, Ken Cober. And, and Ken Cober, welcome to 700 WLW. How are you today, sir? And Happy New Year. I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. So, uh, so Ken Cober, uh, you, you have been involved with the uh, police department, the Cincinnati Police Department, for a long time. Tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your background and, and how you were able to uh, work your way to such a lofty position. Sure. So I started out uh, in 2000, actually as a civilian, I was a police cadet. I went into the police academy in 2002. I spent times in District 5, District 1, uh, Fugitive Apprehension Squad. I worked a police canine for about eight years. I went to our traffic unit for a little while. And, you know, most recently I was in the central business section uh, before getting elected. Uh, But I've spent uh, the last 14 years I've spent was on the executive board for the FOP. So no, no stranger to being around here on the executive board. Yeah, I, I, has that experience served you well? Do you think uh, in in your time leading up to becoming the president of the FOP, as as far as being on? I was gonna, I could because when you were talking about that uh, being a cadet and then you spent a lot of time on the street. Uh, do the 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 rank and file the the people who elect you in do they do they put a lot of appreciation behind? 
uh, both of that, you know, all the amount of time you spent on the street and the amount of time you spent uh, in these leadership positions? Sure. You get to really know some of these folks, you know, when you're constantly at, you know, whether it's an internal or CCA or you just you see them around representing folks, doing things for the FOP. Uh, I believe that there's there's a lot of folks around that that really believe in the sweat equity. You know, you've put in your time, you've you've volunteered your time to want to become a leader of the FOP, and I think they really do take notice and they're appreciative of it. Yeah, you know, I don't have to tell you that uh, uh, you you uh, you represent a long line of very strong advocates for Cincinnati police officers and uh, and a number of individuals who uh, were not afraid to uh, be outspoken. Are not afraid to uh, stick their necks out a little bit on behalf of uh, police officers, on behalf of the department, on behalf of uh, what is uh, right and decent and the best thing for the, the, the people of the city of Cincinnati. Uh, do you plan to continue on in that tradition, or is Ken Cobra a, a different kind of uh, uh, Cincinnati FOP leader? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the great things that our contract affords is you know, whoever the president is is on president's release, and you're really not subject to some of the things that you know a regular police officer uh, would be subject to. So I could pretty much say what I want to say, say what I believe is the truth, and there's no consequences for it. You know, among that also is I'm towards the end of my career, so there's not a whole lot that they could really do to me that <laughs> is really going to affect my career at this point. Well, I know that that was one of the things that uh, that Dan Hills uh, had a it seemed a, a constant battle with was the amount of time that he spent uh, at the side of police officers who were going in front of the uh, the, the review boards, the uh, the various entities that review police actions, and uh, and and unfairly, I think at times uh, either criticize or penalize police officers for things that happen. Uh, when they're in the field, where, where where do you stand on that issue? Well, actually, I'm I'm meeting with the CCA, the interim CCA director next Monday. Uh, she actually reached out to me after the election and said, "I'd like to sit down and talk to you." I, I don't know where that conversation is going to go, but mm -hmm. I do think that there is a lot of unnecessary time that police officers are being subjected to during their shift going to internal and CCA. And I'm not saying that it it's not always necessary. But when you have 160 cops short right now and there are complaints that are coming through that can easily be verified that did not happen via body camera, you know, surveillance cameras, you know, this whole process, I believe, should be streamlined to try to cut out some of the, the unnecessary nonsense that's going on. Yeah, when, when you look at the, the personalities that make up the Citizens Complaint Authority in terms of leadership and in terms of uh, the the individuals that populate that uh, that particular body, do you see a path forward where you can actually have a uh, a, a productive working relationship there? Yeah, we haven't always had you know this extremely adversarial relationship. A lot of it comes down to who the director is. You know, we've had directors in the past that have been willing to work with the FOP and at least hear us out and hear our side of things before they would finalize a report. Now, most recently, we haven't had that in a director, and you know that director is no longer here. Um, and that's why I look forward to at least sitting down with the interim director and saying, listen, this is, this is kind of how I see our relationship moving going forward. And if you're willing to at least come to the table 
and listen to what we have to say. We may not always agree. I get that. But to be able to have a relationship where you can go, listen, this is the side of things that we see. And, you know, if we can have that open dialogue, then things may get better. And if not, you know, then I guess we'll have to deal with it another way. But that's that's yet to be seen because we don't have a permanent director yet. Yeah, so, so the CPA is an issue. Funding is always an issue. Recruitment is an issue. Uh, working with the community, uh, the spike in, in uh, underage crime is an issue. What's uh, what's the number one or, or two top things as far as uh, Ken Cobra is concerned when it comes to becoming the, the leader of the FOP? Well, number one, and I think there's not a member in this lodge that will disagree with me. The number one thing is our contract. That expires the end of April. Uh, we're going to be begin working on that here very soon. I suspect by the end of the month we'll have uh, our wage team selected and we'll begin uh, the process of doing research and eventually meeting with the city and, you know, seeing how how that works out. Um, I think the, uh, the the second closest thing is is recruiting. Uh, I've told the chief before, and, and she had asked what my opinion on was it, and I believe that we should be helping as the FOP, helping with recruiting. So we're in a, in a bad position right now where if the city wants help with recruiting, we should be doing everything we can to help get new cops in here because it's certainly affecting all the cops now. You know, a lot of the issues that we're having are because of you know, lack of manpower, you know, whether it's being forced to work overtime, being forced to work off days, things like that. We'll be relieved if we get enough cops to want to take this job. So that's something that I look forward to helping them with. Yeah, I mean, you know, so much of what I see on social media, what I see on uh, local media, what I see on national media, uh, there is. It, it seems that I guess it goes in a cycle. Uh, it just seems like we're in a period now where police officers are not getting a lot of respect from certain segments of the population. Um, I would like to think that's going to change. Uh, how do you deal with that on a, on a day-to-day basis when you're on the street? And how much of that is an issue for the, uh, for the men and women that you represent? It's a huge issue. I mean, just showing up on a radio run and you're immediately being cussed out. People don't want to comply. You know, they're going to just say whatever it is they want to say because they believe that there are no repercussions. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it is a nothing but a product of some of our elected officials, you know, between locally, state, nationally, where they've been emboldened with this power that I don't have to listen to what the police say. Now, I do think that, and like I said, it goes in cycles. I think that most of these politicians are realizing that this was bad for everybody. Uh, and unfortunately, it's going to take some time, you know, for one, for cops to to actually see that politicians are willing to support them because it's not just going to be a, well, hey, guys, we do support you now. People aren't going to buy it. You know, these, these elected officials are really going to have to prove with their actions that cops should buy into them being supported. And that's that's yet to be seen. Yeah, as uh, as a police department, it seems like you're you're an easy target. I was looking at the uh, at the uh, uh, the interview you gave with City Beat, and uh, they wanted they eventually got into uh, diversity and and diversity in the police force and things like that. But uh, you know, it, it, an organization like City Beat, I would seriously doubt if they're going to criticize the lack of diversity on Cincinnati City Council since it's made up of all Democrats now. Um, 
not, not that I want to bring politics into the issue, but uh, do, do you have time as a uh, as the the leader of the FOP to concern yourself with that, or do you have to deal with real life issues as it relates to the uh, the men and women who put on the uniform of the Cincinnati Police Department every day? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really concern myself with it just for the fact that I, I don't hire anybody. You know, I'll help I'll help them with recruiting, but as far as who they decide to hire, that's up to them. And the reality of, of the issue with diversity is the police department can only hire those that apply. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to hire, you know, those that, that come before us, you know, are the ones that they go and they investigate, do the background investigation and all those things and find out who the qualified candidates are. And there's no surprise that there, we are not getting a very diverse pool of people that want to be police officers. Well, you're not really getting anybody currently that wants to be police officers. Now, it's, it's starting to trend back to getting more people, but you can't force somebody just because of a diverse background, you know, because of their ethnicity or otherwise. You can't just say, hey, I, I really need you to be a Cincinnati police officer. Either you want to be here to do this job and serve the community or you don't want to do it. And I think it's a slippery slope to go, well, we're just going to hire some people because they look a certain kind of way. That's not going to be that's not going to end well for anybody. Yeah. And and you couple that with I've talked to a lot of retiring police officers who have told me privately that uh, they tell their own kids, they tell members of their family, they tell uh, young people in their neighborhood or, or people that they talk to that if you're thinking about being a cop, uh, you might want to think about uh, about doing something else because of how they they've seen that that pendulum swing in the time that they have been on. And so when you talk about those standards that uh, that, that people have to meet in order to become a member of the police force, uh, in the time that you've been in, have those standards changed? And if they have changed, have they changed for the better or for the worse? I wouldn't necessarily say at this point that the standards have changed, mm-hmm. but I see what's going on in other departments. I see what's going on around the country where you know other major cities are reducing standards just to get people in the door. And that is a absolutely horrible idea. We saw with the incident in Memphis, you know, that five officers that get indicted, you know, and find out that three of the five were hired after the Memphis Police Department lowered their standards. That's something that just cannot happen in Cincinnati. And I think anybody you ask that wears this uniform for the Cincinnati Police Department will tell you, I would rather be short than you lower the standards because it's only going to make anybody that wears this uniform look horrible when they lower standards and then somebody does something to get themselves indicted. God forbid they kill somebody on this job. It's horrible for everybody. They should not be reducing standards. What they need to be doing is finding a way to make this a more attractive profession to join. And I think one of the ways that they do that certainly is having elected officials openly support police officers. Pretty simple. The other thing is make sure that you are paying them the appropriate amount of money to attract them to want to come here. And the departments, there are departments around the country that are doing those things, and they are finding that it is alleviating some of their problems with being short-staffed. So it's just a matter of we'll, we'll see here come the end of April you know, what, what side of the, uh, the coin the city of Cincinnati wants to be on. Yeah, uh, Ken Kober is who we're talking with. He's the, uh, the new leader of the FOP here in Cincinnati. We just got about a minute or so left. 
But I remember when uh, when James Craig came here and and I had a chance to talk with him on the radio and I asked him about the uh, the, the perception of the Cincinnati police force outside of the city of Cincinnati and as you know he had had a long background in in various cities across the country and 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 his his perception was that the city of Cincinnati the police force at least enjoyed an outstanding reputation uh, across the country and by other departments across the country as as having perhaps one of the finest if not the finest police force in the entire United States of America and from your perspective does the Cincinnati Police Department still enjoy that uh, that perception from other police departments across the country? I believe it does. When you look at you know the whole totality of circumstances, the great work that these men and women do every single day, even with dealing with the you know civil unrest that we had in 2020, um, having the absolute flat out disrespect that we've had. And we still go to work every single day, do the right things, serve this community. And I've been around the country, you know, at different trainings, and I see some of the things that other departments struggle with that we just aren't struggling with. And it's easy, you know, especially for recently retired guys from this department or even active guys that have been around for a while that have seen maybe sometimes, you know, in our careers we have had better days here. Um, but it certainly doesn't compare to what goes on in other departments. And we are by far are one of the best, if not the best in this country. Outstanding. That is excellent. Well, Ken Cobra, I'll tell you what, I I don't need to tell you that, um, that, that, you know, that, uh, that people like me and other talk show hosts on this radio station, that we lean on the FOP a lot, especially the president of the FOP, uh, to come on this radio station and face the music or, uh, you know, give us the, the, the real scoop on, on what's happening. And uh, I certainly hope that this is the beginning of a long relationship uh, between you and this radio station and not just me, but all the talk show hosts on this station. And uh, Ken Cober, I want to thank you for your time this afternoon and uh, wish you the best of luck as you start uh, this new chapter in your career. And, I, and uh, circumstances are going to happen where we are talking down the road. And I'm certainly looking forward to that. But a happy new year to you and uh, continued success, and, and we will definitely be talking again before too long. Well, Happy New Year. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. I'd be happy to, to talk to you again. All right. Ken Cober, uh, the new president of the FOP in Cincinnati, thank you very much. Uh, 227 now on 700 WLW. Oh, wabbit. <laughs> I thought I'd all wabbit. <laughs> Numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Football, you bonehead! Oh, my guy! Saga doesn't get any more classic than that. No doubt about it. Marty Brennan, greatest of all time. And the, and the cowboy. And the cowboy. I mean, you were up there for a lot of that. Uh, yes. How, how much fun, how much fun is it to be in the booth with those two? I uh, was in there 36 years with uh, Marty and Joe and then uh, Jeff Brantley and uh, and company. So it was uh, quite astonishing each and every night. Every night. Believe it. Every night there's a story to tell. No doubt about that. Fantastic. That's for, that's for sure. That's for sure. Great times. None better. None better. Um, Dan Carroll, the uh, Stooge Report, is a proud service of your local Tempstar heating and air conditioning dealers 
Tempstar. Quality you can feel in Cincinnati. Call Schmidt Heating and Cooling at 513-531-6900. Sparks! Thank you, Roxy. The uh, Bengals have that. The Bengal players have that day off. They're getting a game plan ready to go for the season finale Sunday against those playoff browned Cleveland Browns. It's tough to say. How how weird is that? The Browns are headed to the playoffs, and the Bengals are headed to Palookaville. Uh, they're headed to the TV. Uh, more tonight on Bengals line. Lance and Lap, uh, 605 right here on 700 WLW. Uh, college football national championship game next Monday in Houston. Washington Huskies and the Michigan Wolverines. And uh, Michigan's an early four-and-a-half-point favorite. Why are they playing in Houston? Because it's where they want the game. What's the big stadium in Houston? Uh, the home of the Texans. That's where the Texans play? Right. What's, NR- it, what's that NR- called? Uh, NRG Energy or something, NRG Field, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, because I was thinking about that the other day. I didn't know that the uh, – I, I, I guess it's fairly new probably. Wherever the big money is there, Dan that's Carroll, where, that's where they go. That's where the big money is. College basketball tonight. Miami Redhawks, Mac opener hosting Western Michigan. Also number one, Purdue at Maryland. Uh, get the latest on Norse basketball tonight. The NKU Coaches Show, Jim Kelch and company, 605 on ESPN 1530. NHL tonight, the Boston Bruins skate up north against Columbus. And that Blue Jackets action at 630 on Fox Sports 1360. And who's going to come back to work first in the 2024 year? That's a good question. Will it be Willie or will it be Rocky? I thought Rocky was going to be here. I don't know. I'm just maybe saying. He's, maybe he might be uh, recording Todd, an interview. Or, or maybe might, Todd Killinger, <coughs> one of our account executives. Might be might be having a, uh, a big pregame meeting with Ed Fingers right now. You never know. Come on. What? What are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about the new year and everything else, and the, they're going to have somebody on about the Bengals and everything. And, uh, you know, come on. Now, Cunningham Cunningham will, will be back in about a, a week or so, and then he'll talk about how he works 365 days a year. Must be nice. That's a, it's a beautiful thing. How about, how about Dave Portnoy? Betting a million bucks. Won a million dollars betting on the Wolverines. Not bad, Dan. You ever, you ever made a bet that big? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Believe it. Negative. That'd be pretty cool, though. Uh, yeah. Been a, been a million dollars on Michigan to win, and then they, they pulled it out, getting the game to overtime, and then scoring in overtime. I don't know. I I, I, I was I would have bet money that Alabama was going to score on that last play. And then, uh, of course, they ran it up the gut. The guy tripped over his own lineman, and that was the end of the game. That's for sure. The end of the game. I thought I knew I knew Michigan thing. was good, but uh, man, that that Corum and uh, a few other guys that they got, uh, JJ McCarthy, man, he can throw that ball, and uh, they got a they got a good team. And but there's uh, wild rumors around that uh, you know that Harbaugh's gonna you know bolt uh, for the NFL coming up here. So I don't know I, who knows what's gonna happen. Where would he go in the NFL? I, probably any anybody that wants him. Isn't he making enough money to, in, in Michigan? I, no, I don't think so. You make you more money. Today? You make more money in the NFL. Or you make more money in the uh, the and NFL, NFL owners want you. They'll pay you. Believe it. It's all about bags and bags of cash. Correct. Correct, Amundo. So, Seg, you got any more sports? It's, it's a light day in sports I know, right it's now. Very light. Very I know. light, Dan Carroll. It's that, gonna it's gonna get light, it. it's gonna get lighter when the Bengals don't make it to the playoffs. Oof. 
I'll be in there about five, about less than five minutes with Willie, if he ever shows up again. I mean, maybe maybe he'll just phone it in from Florida. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> maybe that's where Rocky is after a wild week of college football with him. I know. I guess Rocky's not going to show up till the Eddie and Rock. I was hoping to see his uh, his swag bag from the is, Liberty. Is, that, is Eddie coming in? I don't know. Maybe I had to maybe do it's a, you and Jason Williams again, and you don't know it. Maybe it is. I did. I did the Eddie and Rocky show four days in a row last week. I'm just saying four day, and then and then this guy calls me up and okay. says, "Can't you ever say anything positive?" Uh oh, I think Tony Bender's outside the door. I think he's got something to tell you. <laughs> is he sticking his three, head? three more hours? <laughs> Dan, can you can you help us out? Guy says, "Can't you ever say anything positive?" Well, can you? Well, yeah, I, I say positive things all the oh, time. Okay. Okay, I'm just checking. I mean, I was talking to uh, my but my my buddy Jim Serger wrote a book about going to see uh, Van Halen. That uh, that that was a very positive interview. Did you ever see Van Halen in concert? No. What con- what concerts have you been to? What's a, uh, what, my what's, cousins, the, what's the biggest uh, show you've ever seen? Rolling Stones here. Yeah, baby. Neil Steel Diamond. Wheels. I don't know what it was. It was Riverfront Stadium. Yeah, I was there. It was, uh, and then Neil Diamond a couple times, uh, and then the Monkees at the Gardens. Oh, don't get any bigger than that. <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, the Monkees, uh, they were huge back in the day. Correct. I couldn't hear, I still can't hear in one ear. <laughs> Screaming and yelling like a bunch of maniacs in that place. <laughs> I, so- I went with my cousins, and I thought that was the end of the world. No, you know, just the doors, sold out? the doors opened and everybody just rushed right in. It just went nuts. The it, place it, went nuts yeah. for the monkeys. Yep. So that was it. At the gardens. You have a the lot ho- of great memories of that place. The hockey barn of Bedlam. Well, heck yeah. And then uh, I remember when Xavier used to play there. Yep. They had, then- some, they had some uh, infamous uh, crosstown shootouts there. The, remember the night we were there when uh, uh, Bob Huggins and... Uh, Pete Gillen refused to shake hands after the game. You would have thought that uh, uh, World War III was going to erupt. The Civil War was going to start fans again. Were, fans were yelling and screaming and fighting out in the parking lot. and Unbelievable. Anyway. Oh, Seg, look, look who's here. Well, look, who's, look here. who's here. How about that? Mr. College Bowl game himself decides to, so now he wins the bet. He shows up before Willie. He, he got he got back and you know what? before Cunningham did. And you know what? Let's give this guy credit. Willie can't say anything about Notre Dame anymore after Steam they ripped the you-know-what out of, who was it? In the Oregon sun, State, the in Beavers. The, in the Sun Bowl. We licked the Beavers, oh, Seg. mercy sakes. That was a that was a you-know-what kicking. So, but he'll come up with something like the girls lacrosse lot one or something yeah, like that team, against, uh, yeah, 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 that type of thing. But they, they don't that, should be, that should be a New Year's resolution for the Stooge report going forward is that we don't play any more of that Notre Dame beatdown stuff. I'm, a, I'm with that. Put it away. Put it in the vault. It's not going to happen. Because <laughs> the, 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 the guy that has the name on this show, no way. He won't allow it. He's beaten me down over the years. And this guy's next in line. He loves to stick it to the you. The only thing that can I, happen I get, is Notre it. Dame must succeed. I get the it, only thing I get, get it twice for. a day. He gets it only once. That's correct. Thank you. No, so no, I'm just, I'm just Dame, going Dame on record right weekend. now as saying he's going to come up with something to say about, the, you know, well, I knew Notre Dame was going to win and all. I, I know what he's going to say. 
But I'm going to go on record now as saying I watched that game and it was like that was a you-know-what kick. And I said, Willie, you can't say anything about Notre Dame in that game. We did it without no our way. starting quarterback, the whole deal. Next year, it's going to be big, Dan Curl. And I will say this, too. Willie also gave my son crap because my son is a Michigan fan. I don't know how that happened, by the way. It's not my fault. But Michigan won blame? big yesterday. Who do you blame? Your wife? Yes. Oh. Oh, and, and happy birthday to your dad. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the Big king. Mike. The Big the Mike is 71 years big old. Mike the patriarch, the man. He turned uh, 71 yesterday on he's a New Year's Day baby. So, just look uh, at, just looking good. at him, he could tear you in half. That's exactly right. Thank sake. you. Big Mike. You. He's like a Mike Dick. Just like you. To him. I love that. <laughs> just like you. That's why I'm on your side. But your son what? didn't win a million bucks betting on Michigan, though, did he? He didn't win a no. He, there's no betting in our house. But he was he was a happy camper. He <laughs> you know, was a baby, happy baby. camper. Is that part night. of is that part of Rocky's rules? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. He'll get you in trouble, Dan Carroll. <laughs> but so, no. so Rock, the, the president of Harvard, resigned today, Claudine Gay, because she had like sixty-seven plagiarism charges. Right? I know. Come on now. What what if we were to examine? Sentence by sentence, Rocky's rules. Would we find any plagiarism Absolutely in there? Absolutely not. I wrote every word of that book. Damn straight. No ghostwriter. No nothing. I wrote it. Boom. That's not. That's not Boom. good. You can't. You can't cut and paste when you're doing your doctoral thesis. Yeah, that's a pretty good life rule to follow. Especially yeah, if you're in academia. Is that one of your plagiarism? Rules? Should be. It Maybe should that'll be, be the twelfth. Maybe the twelfth rule. Say. Wild Man Walker's got two books out. Maybe Rocky can do another one. Next book I do is going to be a children's <laughs> book, please. That's what are you telling you? Lots of pictures? Yes. That's the best way to go. But I'm back. Eddie is back. How was right? Liberty Dynamic Bowl? duo is, is back. I so. know. It was me and Jason Williams last week. I know. I didn't. I and now it's time. Well, you were on the road. Because your, your, your month started where? Uh, Shreve, well, my last two weeks. I started in Shreveport, Louisiana for the, the Independence Bowl. The Frisco. Frisco, Texas and Frisco. And then uh, the, the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. Yes. What's a, what's a swag bag like at the Independence we Bowl? We didn't get any. We get none. What do the players get? I'm not sure. I, you yeah. know, a bunch of t-shirts and hats and all that stuff. Nothing I, 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 I for the broadcasters. No, some bulls do, some some don't. Nothing for the Broncos. Remember the famous Idaho Potato Bowl gave us so much crap. You know what I did say? I gave it. I, I gave it to my kids for Christmas gifts and said it was for me, but I didn't pay a nickel for it. Wow. That's a smart parenting tip right there, guys. <laughs> right. So if your dad's a big TV star and a broadcaster, that's, that's what it. you're going to get. get. The that's free not swag. Bad. Not bad. Away what Christmas about the Liberty gifts. Bowl? Didn't get nothing. It's nothing. too bad you didn't get the Pop Tart Bowl there, Rock, because know, you would have you would have been the dad of the year in your household. Bunch of Pop Tarts. That's right. What's in What's in the swag bag at the at the Pop Tart Bowl? You I bet you it's all kinds Strawberry, of Pop Tarts. Strawberry, got, yes. got your Chocolate, variety, whatever, variety whatever. pack in Thank there. Thank you. Thank you. Get a coupon for a toaster. I haven't had a Pop Tart in forever. I don't think I've ever had one in my life. Way to go, by the way. Cinnamon with butter on it. Now we're talking. Or you could have went. You got the cheese. Put butter bowl. on a Pop Tart. Could have had oh, yeah. cheese. for really? life. Yeah. Jesus for life, Duke's mayo. Ooh. All the oh, all the sponsors say. Oh. No. Don't <laughs> Do those coaches want to sign you win a bowl, You want to win a bowl game, Rock? But maybe not that one because I saw what when they well at least at least they didn't have they had like a Gatorade jug of the mayonnaise. But the last year they had one. It was like a giant glass bottle. Yeah, and they covered this guy, and it was oh no. Oh, but you know what? Smart guy on TV had French fries. He like wiped the uh, French fries on the guy's arm and he ate them. 
pretty good. Not bad. Not Who a bad idea. Who wants to get a bucket of mayonnaise dumped on their head? Well, when it's Duke Mayo and they're paying, you're doing. That's right. The winning coach get doused with uh, mayonnaise. Pay a whole bunch so, of money for that bowl. Right, so exactly. The they can do whatever they want. Exactly. They can do whatever they want. Does the coach get Sponsors. a little uh, get a little check for that? Well, if the coach does, but he's yeah. told you this is what you got to do. We so selected your team. Boom. Here's the proposal I was talking about. The last dude report before you got here. Okay. If if you're making nil money and you're getting paid, then you cannot opt out of a bowl game. You think that would be a part of the requirement. Now, it would just be the people, whoever's offering the NIL, in this case, it's a lot of these collectives, they should put that as a clause in there. Yeah. You accept the money, then you got to show I, up. I agree. I, these players, uh, the, the Frisco Bowl that I called, this was unbelievable. Uh, a player, I'll name him, Rasheen Ali from Marshall, a running back, one of the best players in the Sun Belt. He plays the first half of the game. In other words, he's on a pitch clock, is what his coach said. Or pitch count, whatever you want to say. Right. In the second half, they're they're behind by one touchdown. They're in the game. He had a sixty-five yard touchdown first. In the rest of the half, he just sat, sat there. First of all, how do you do that to your teammates? Secondly, I know he's receiving nil. How do you half play, either play or don't play? Well, what, what, and what, don't take the yeah. nil money. You know, well, what about Georgia, Florida State? That was a mess. I mean, until. You know, the, the, the coaches demand more, but the coaches won't demand more because they're scared. Because right. when I was in uh, college, you're going to get the money, you got to show coaches, up. That's, why, that's the, it. The coaches have the power. Right. Now, in the age of social media, the Bingo. players have the power because all that has to happen, a player has to do is this is my body, and I don't think this is right for my future, and the coach will get killed, and they'll never get another recruit. So these co- there is players in the, in the Independence Bowl I did that enter the transfer portal. And are, are not playing in the ball game, but are allowing themselves the opportunity, should they want to come back, to come back. So there's players that are <laughs> that are in the transfer like, portal uh, yeah. that are playing in the game that may leave and some that aren't playing that may come back. Explain that one to me. Well, it, it's just like the NBA. The players are running the league now. That's yes. it. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening now. All and right. it's players have the power. The, the NCAA is, is no good anymore. The, the university... The coaches, nothing. The but players are telling it's out the of coaches. It's like the wild, wild west. Correct. By the way, I heard a good idea. I wish I could take credit for it, but where they need to move these bowls to the beginning of the year, okay? Because no one's going to opt out of the bowl games if they're in the beginning of the year, okay? You still have okay. It, it would it would count toward your record. It'd be a big deal. All the players would play in it. Just make it week zero, and then they start their regular season on week one. Make the bowl games in. All the sponsors are happy. Fans are happy. And they then get at all the these end of the matchups. year, you've got the top 12, and that's it. There you go. There you go. Rock, you, what do you got coming up? We got to go. Who are you picking, Rock? Michigan, as I have all year. They look good. I agree. Thought I'd ask. I do like Michael Penix a lot. It's going to be hard for me to root against him because he was my Heisman vote. But anyway, uh, we, what do we have on the show today? What, what day is it? Oh, Anything? Um, yes, we have uh, We have Jason <laughs> Williams out of the game. we got to talk a little Bengals. I know the game was a few days ago. Hey. We were talking about that. Future there? What? Do, what? A, a, how a fan should view this season? We'll get into that, and then we have a, the uh, the patent professor at four o'clock. Apparently, the the patent is run out on Mickey Mouse. I saw that. So now, like all these horror movies yeah, are evil, trying to you yeah, evil Mickey. Evil Mickey uh, and so, how can that happen? What's the story there? We'll talk to him at four o'clock. Destroy American kids. As well. We're way, we're way late. We, we're way late. We got to go. Get us Dan out. Carol in the uh, the. Uh, 
beautiful day in the tri-state. Yes. Something like that. I want to say something. Welcome we to 2024. You, we leave you with the immortal words of the Stooge Report. What the hell are you talking about, Say. Thank you. On 700 WLW.